been on a ship. <laughs> you didn't play bingo? I would at least played bingo. Did you tap the all-night ice cream machine? Yeah, there you go. Okay. Not at midnight. I would have set an alarm. <laughs> the midnight buffet. Why not? Why not hit that step? Well, good morning. We're going to continue our Prophecies of Christ uh, study. We've only got a couple more weeks to go, probably, in all likelihood. Um, the famous chart as we go up. We're starting the gospel. Chuck, finished the, Chuck did the trials last week, the pre-gospel. Finished that off. So today we're going to move into the gospel. Um, so I'm going to talk about crucifixions, really about what I'm going to talk about today. Um, so I've got a question on here. I've asked this question a million times. As a matter of fact, what I did, uh, it, it's been seven years, but I did the serial gospel. We, we took the gospel, we told the story in pieces uh, just to do it. So actually I've taken this part, I've taken my, my, some of my slides since I've already got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John kind of coordinated and got them in some kind of order, um, which is, if you want to argue about it, I'm not even going to argue. I'll just say you win. It, but uh, I infiltrated stuff with it. But I've asked this question before. What's the gospel? What's the gospel that the Corinthians received? What's the gospel that uh, was saving the Corinthians? And what's the gospel that the Corinthians held fast? In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And if you hold fast to the world, word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So what is the gospel? We hear a lot about it, but what is it? That's it. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So it's the sad news and the good news. It's kind of all, it's the good news it's got sad news with it. It's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. Um, that's really what it is. That's the gospel. So we're going to talk about the, his death today and his burial because um, it's kind of tied to get together. So I'm going to start with him going to the cross. And I don't have a lot of questions. Um, kind of telling narrative more so than questions. If you've got questions, stop me. If you've got comments, stop me. You know, go ahead and talk. Um, John 19, 16 through 17. Like I said, I took the four Gospels and kind of got them. There's little bits and pieces from all of them. And you try to get a timeline, and they're not really, you know, what one Gospel has a paragraph here, the other ones fit in in little pieces and stuff, and they wedge in there. And it's kind of tricky to try to put it all together. Um, so anyways, I'll try to put it that way. Um, take a look at it. So they took Jesus... And he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the skull, place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And it starts out with Jesus carrying his own cross. And I've got purple slides to show that it's a prophecy. So I'll try to, I don't know why I didn't think about that earlier. At least we know what's prophecy and what's, what's not. Number 21.9, Numbers 21.9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. They were in the, in the desert before they got to Canaan. 
They were attacked by snakes. This is what the solution was. They had a bronze sermon on a pole. Anybody that was held up, anybody that looked at that, that saved them. And this is kind of a prophecy. I can't tell you it's a prophecy more than a prototype or something of Christ. As Christ is going to be on the cross, it's those who look towards him and don't take that from the aspect of it, just look at him or just believe. There's a whole set of responsibilities that goes with that. But that is what saves us from the snakes in life, is him on the cross, very much typical of that in Numbers 21.9. Going on with the story, Matthew 27.32, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, they compelled this man to carry his cross, Mark's version, and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross, Luke 23.26. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid him laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. So after Jesus couldn't carry the cross anymore, they found this guy Simon, and they compelled him. They forced him to carry the cross. Uh, then C, um, Luke 23, 27 through 31, and there followed him a great multitude of the people, and of the people who were mourning and lamenting for him, but they turned to Jesus. Turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that were never bore, that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things and the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? So we for yourselves is kind of the words that Jesus says as he's making this tra uh, trail to the cross. Luke 23, 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. So this procession, you got Jesus behind him is Cyrene, uh, Simon carrying the cross. There's women there and he tells them to you know, cry for yourselves. And there's two others. There's two criminals that go along with him. Um, and that's prophesied in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, if you ever want to, you'll find it. Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 both referenced here a lot. I encourage you to go back and just read those. The story itself tells a lot in each of those uh, chapters. It doesn't necessarily go with the timeline, but you see a lot of prophecy with it goes with everything else. So in verse 12 of Isaiah 53, he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. So it was prophesied this far back that he was going to die with criminals. You know, it wasn't just a, it wasn't a fluke that there was two thieves on the cross when he was. It was foretold that this is how it was going to happen. Part E of this, to going to the cross, Matthew 27, 33 through 34. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. In Mark's version, they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. So this is the next step. Jesus is given uh, wine and gall to drink. And that's prophesied too. Psalm 69, 21, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Um, I'm going to also point out, this is not the only time today that you're going to hear that he drank sour wine or that he had wine with vinegar. I think there's at least two other times. Like I say, it's a, you know, is it out of place? Is it something that was offered to him three times? But as I went through this, I found two other times that he's offered this sour wine, this wine with vinegar. So the prophecy, I'm going to say, applies to all three times. So, 
So that's his trail with the cross up to the to be crucified. So allow him to be crucified and reviled. And this is going to look at the first three hours of that. Um, Matthew 27, 38, when two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. Basically, that's what it says. Um, like I said, we saw earlier that he was going to be, he was going to be numbered with the transgressors, numbered with the criminals. Matthew 27, 36 through 37, when they sat down and kept watch over them there, and over his head they put a charge against him which read, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. Um, it says Mark's version, and it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. Um, John's version might be a little bit different. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified. It was near the city. It was written in Aramaic. In Latin and in Greek. In John 19, so the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I'm King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I've written, I have written. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments among him by casting lots. Um, there's a prophecy that said they were going to do that. Did I get that one? Yeah, it's coming up. John's version in 19. 23 and 24, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it should be. This was to fulfill scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that comes from Psalm 22. So a lot of stuff comes from that. Psalm 22, 16 through 18, For dogs encompass me, the company of evildoers encircles me, they have pierced my hands and feet, I can count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me, they divide my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. So what do you see in this, just this prophecy, this part of the prophecy here in Psalm 22? What parts do you see with him hanging on the cross? It describes several parts that are going to happen. Yeah. Well, the first one, dogs encompass me. The Jews referred to the Gentiles as dogs, so this would be the Romans. It would probably be the Romans. You're right. It would no. It would. It would, it would be the Romans. It would be. Yeah, it would be the Romans. Uh, the two thieves. <coughs> the evildoers would be the Jews. Yeah, the Jewish leadership would be the evildoers. They, they've, they're the ones that pushed him to be there. He had to die. They. They arranged false witnesses, had illegal trials. So these are, they're there. You know, it's not something they're going to read about in the newspaper the next morning. They're not going to catch it on YouTube. They're there. What else? What about 17? I can count my bones, they stare and gloat over me. I hadn't got to those verses yet. I thought, really? Yeah, I'm sorry. We don't see that, but yeah. Yeah, not yet. Comes up a little bit later. It comes a little bit later, yeah. In 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that's just what we just saw. Isn't this a weird thing? That, I mean, when you see it in the story, that he took his clothes, and when you back up, maybe. The computer's acting really weird today. There we go. So when they take his clothes, and his tunic's too nice, it's all in one piece. They're not going to cut it into four pieces. So they, they draw lots. They cast lots. 
Um, you guys know what that is, right? Anybody want to tell me what casting lots is? Rock, Rock scissors, scissors, paper. <laughs> What's that, Mickey? Rock, scissors, paper. Rock, scissors, paper. You know, that's a good one. Uh, my, uh, my soccer players use that one for, for everything. All right, who's, who's going to be captain of the team? You'll see them. They'll, they'll do rock, paper, scissors. That's, that's the go-to casting lots of today's youth. Um, flip a coin. That's how they do it before the game, they'll flip a coin. So, you know, it's two ways. But here they've cast lots. Um, say draw slot. It's some kind, of, some kind of lottery, basically. You know, some kind of who's going to get what. We're not that way, we don't have to fight over it. Just you get what you get, and there you go. It's a strange thing to do, you know. They've stripped him naked, they've taken his clothes, and they're gonna take the spoils. We each get a piece. So, I don't know, I think it's just weird, isn't it? It's weird to me. So, but it was foretold that that's what was gonna happen, and it's what happened. Continue on Matthew 27 39 through 44. And those who passed by derided him. Like we said, and they gloated over him, wagging their heads and saying, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and then we'll believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now. If he desires him, for he said, I am the Son of God, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So this goes back to like Chuck said. I wasn't quite there yet in verse 17. Count my bones. They all stare, and they gloat over me. So all these people, they're harassing Jesus while he's hanging there on the cross, nailed to the cross. They're just, they're yelling all this stuff at him. Mark's version in 15, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying those who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. So, he, so also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying he saved others, cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from now from the cross, that so we may see and believe. Those who were crucified him also reviled him. In 22, 7, Psalm 22, 7 through 8, also see who mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. They trust in the Lord. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. So prophecy from Psalm, and it says they're mocking him, but it says they wag their heads. And that was in Mark's version. It says they wag their heads. It was in Matt, Matthew's version. They wag their heads. So what's it mean to wag your head? If you had a dog, you know what it means, right? So, I mean, the curses are just going. They're just taunting him. It's just kind of what it is. It's just back and forth. Even the words, it's in quotes. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Um, and that's in Matthew's version. 43, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him if he desires him. These, I mean, this is foretold what these people are going to say. and They weren't just going to mock him. The words were there too. Luke 23, 35 through 37, and the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, for he's the Christ of God, he's the chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering sour wine. There it is again. Saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the others rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we were receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So the criminals, they're, you know, they're talking to him. You know, aren't you afraid? You've got the same sentence we got. But, you know, are you not afraid? And one of them says, remember me when you get to your kingdom. Remember me. He sees. John 19, 25 through 27, but standing at the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, the Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Hold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. How many people, how many friends of Jesus were standing there? We saw the, we know the Romans were there. We know the Jewish leadership were there. We got the thieves. How many of his friends were standing nearby? Disciples, how many? I don't think, huh? John. 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 John's it. He's the one who's takes a, that he's you know, the one whom he loved that is going to take his mom. The other one. One of them at least knows he's the son of God. We'll give it that much. So yeah, you're right. Um, but the disciples, the apostles, they've kind of taken off. They you know, are they next? It's a good question if you're standing there. So you got, you got uh, Mary, you got his her sister. There are several. There are several people. You got eyewitnesses that are there, that are friends of his, close to him, that see the same thing. They record, you know, and that's some of this is why it's recorded. That when we're talking about the scriptures, he died, he was buried, and he rose again according to the scriptures. And it goes on with that in First Corinthians 15 that there were witnesses, and that's the thing. These people saw what happened. The story can't be changed. It can't be that he just, that he, it can't be that he wasn't dead. It can't be that, you know, that he just disappeared, left town. None of that can be because they got witnesses. And at the time, even the, some of the letters that Paul writes and stuff, 1 Corinthians itself says, go ask these people. These people are still eyewitnesses. They're still alive. They're not alive today. But you could verify this thing. Today, people try to wipe out the truth. They try to wipe out the gospel. All we have is a written account. But at that time, through eyewitnesses, they verified this stuff is true. Darkness and death comes... Now, from the sixth hour, there was a darkness over the land until the ninth hour. Um, Luke's version says, and now about the sixth hour, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. It's the same kind of thing, till dark. In the first month... On the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. This is Leviticus 23. We talked about with the crucifixion, the Passover happens. We know what happens basically that Friday night, and this is, this is why. Leviticus, it's not a prophecy, that's just the rule. But when the sun goes down, the Passover starts. And what we're seeing as part of the gospel is the last three hours of the day, it went dark. It was dark until it went dark which is kind of a weird thing that they put. That's what it was. It was dark until it went dark. 
And the Passover being a big part of that, you see in the Passover being, we've looked at that as being a prophecy of Christ, the, the type, the prototype of Christ. Matthew 27, 46 through 47, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with his loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man's calling to Elijah. And Mark's version is basically the same kind of thing. Of course, this is what starts Psalm 22. These are the very, very words that start Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel, and your fathers, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted, you delivered them. So he's crying out, the words he cries out on the cross in Matthew 27, 46, Mark 15, 34, or start of Psalm 22. Like I said, the, there's a lot of the story, a lot of prophecy in Psalm 22 pointing to exactly this. And that's his, kind of his reference, you know, for those that are standing there. This is prophesied. This was going to happen. Those who were his disciples, those who were believers, they can know that it's true, that it was all pre-planned. Those who are the Jewish leadership, they can look at this too as they complain that he was, you know, he, he was trying to ruin things. They can look at this too. You know the prophecy. Just read that. You'll find out what's happening and why. Farther in Psalm 22, 14 through 15, I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in my, within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. You can see his strength just going away. You can feel that. You know, it's, it's poetic, but you can see him on the cross. You can just see the life just coming out of him. And down in 19 through 24 on Psalms 22, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. You, O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. And at that point, things change. They change in Psalms. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the afflictions of the afflicted. He has not hidden his faith from him, but was heard when he cried to him. So you see Jesus, he starts out, Oh my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see the life coming out of him. Right there in 21, he's looking, you know, he, he saved me from the mouth of the lion. But things change. He says he was rescued, and he'll tell everybody. What changes? As he dies, does he die? He dies, but that's not the, that's not the bad part of the story. It's what, it's what the Romans, well, not the Romans, it's what the Jewish leadership wanted. Get rid of him, we'll get rid of his thing. This is where the good news starts. You know, he fulfilled the contract. He... Um, What's it say there? Um, he'll take the afflictions of the afflicted, basically. But anyways, that's where things change. His death didn't end things, didn't make things worse. 
Matthew 27, 40 through 49, and one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour water, a chance to wake up a little bit. Matthew 27, 48 through 49, and one of them at once ran, took a sponge. We just kind of said that in a stupid clip. Um, wait and let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Someone ran and filled a sponge. So we saw that. Um, John's version, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, and said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst, a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine and a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Like I say, you see it like three times in the story with the sour wine. Matthew 27, 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up the spirit. Uh, Mark 15 says, he uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And in John's version, then Jesus had, when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it's finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Matthew 27, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. That's really the key to it. Then Jesus calling out, with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. You know, I would have thought there had been a prophecy with the with the veil ripping in two. That would have been one of the things I would have thought there would have been a prophecy of. It just seems like that would have been something that would have, you know. Um, Psalm 31.5, going to a different set of prophecies. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You've redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And that's what it says, is that he gave his spirit over to God. Um, he's redeemed him. We saw it in Psalm 22. He died, but you see that change. He's redeemed. He's worth more than just one human life. Matthew 27, 54, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this is the Son of God. Luke's version said, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly, this man was innocent. And it goes along with prophecy from Isaiah 53 and verse 10, yet it all was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So it was God's will that he's going to die on the cross. It was, um, but people see it. And it's like that. And they, they see that he's innocent. And we should see that he's innocent. If you've ever tried to read the Bible, just straight through, um, the plan I've used to read the New Testament I read John and Acts and Romans. And the story of John, if you've never really picked it up, if you ever need to 
convince yourself who Jesus was, you'll find Jesus, but you'll, you'll, you'll understand him, but you'll know, it, it's probably the place where you most see how a, a guy was wronged. You'll see how innocent he was and how, how absolutely wrong it was when they put him on the cross. Um, he gave his life, you know, we know that, but they didn't take it from him. But you just see just how cruel that was. There's just absolutely no reason. So if you ever want some good reading, the uh, story in John is where it's at. Leviticus 17:11. for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it for you in the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it's the blood that makes atonement for life. And it's Jesus' blood that makes that atonement for our sins. It's what it takes to appease God for those sins. And that's why it had to happen the way it did. And that was, came from Leviticus 17. Continue on in Luke 23. And all the crowds that assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. They knew it was wrong. Matthew 27, 55, 56. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Jesus, mother of the sons of Zebedee. But anyways. Confirmation of his death. In John 19, 31 through 37. Since it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross for the, on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken. They might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. So they broke the legs of the thieves. And when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. He knows that he is telling the truth that you may also believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Exodus 12, 46 talks about the Passover lamb. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. And you shall not break any of his bones. Like I said, it's not so much a prophecy as it's kind of a type, a prototype. But with the Passover lamb, they didn't break the bones, but they ate everything of it. Jesus' bones weren't broken either. They broke the, broke the legs of the other two. Numbers 9, 11, I mean 9 12, they shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones, according to the statute of the Passover, and they shall keep it. So that's part of the prophecy of why his legs weren't broken. Um, Psalm 34, 20, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Psalm 22, 14, I am poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint. He's, like I said, he's hanging there. The, the, the weight of his own body is what, what kills him. Basically, it causes what? causes like a, his lungs to fill with water. Is that kind of the, the idea I understand? But none of his bones are ever broken. And it's prophesied. And in Zechariah 12, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. And as one mourns for any... An only child, and weep bitterly for him as one weeps over firstborn. So they talk about him watching over those who is pierced, the, the piercing with the sword, it's prophesied. Back to Matthew 27. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of 
Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Mark's version, and when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he, would have already, that he should already have died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted a corpse to Joseph. Luke's version, now there was a man named Joseph. Anyway, you see the same kind of thing. Um, back to Matthew. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own tomb, which he cut out of rock, rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and went away. Isaiah 53, 9, back to Isaiah 53. Part of the prophecy was they made a grave with the wicked, with the rich man in his death. So Jesus is going to be buried not with the Jews. He's going to be, well, I guess he is. He's going to be buried with the Jewish leadership. There's rich man Joseph. Yeah. His own personal grave. His own grave. Very expensive grave. Yeah. Uh, to, bury, to bury Jesus in. So wicked being the Jesus, Jewish leadership, not so not like the Gentiles or something, but. Well, also he went to the grave for the wicked. The wicked being, the two two thieves that were on the cross. They were yeah. wicked. Yeah, I'll go. I'll give you that. Yeah, you're right. That works too. So, this is foretold, and it's like with a rich man in his death. So he goes to the rich man's tomb. Deuteronomy 21 through 22. It's not a prophecy, but just a, a legal holding. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death. And he is put to death, hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him on the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So as him, with him hanging on a tree, hanging on a cross, I mean the Jews, the leadership treated him this way. It was a crime punishable by death. They hung him on a cross. Um, that's the plan. Don't let him hang there all night. Bury him that day. Uh, but don't defile your own land. You know, don't put him on my land. I don't want his blood on me. I don't want his body buried there. We're going to have to put him somewhere else. It's a big deal that Joseph of Arimathea steps up from the council and says, he can be buried in my grave. John 19, 38. So he came out and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And Psalm 45, 7 through 8, Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oils of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. So even... Even the fact that they brought out 75 pounds of spice, 75 pounds of spices, that's a lot of spice, you know? They brought that there. I know it was a tradition, but he was going to be buried. He's buried with that tradition from prophecy. So, Matthew 27, 61, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. That was it. And the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, you remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. 
Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away, and tell his people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers? Go, make it as secure as you can. And they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. If you jump forward to Acts 2, Peter's sermon, uh, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. Man attested you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan, the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And that's what Peter says to these faithful Jews on the day of Pentecost. And you know they're faithful. I mean, they were in town for the Passover, and they stick around for another seven weeks for the day of Passover, people from untold, untold countries, thousands of people are there. There's no McDonald's. There's no Holiday Inn. There's none, you know, and they stick around. As Peter speaks to them, you know, as he says, it was delivered up according to the definite plan. And that's what we've seen. We've seen this definite plan. We've seen these prophecies that appointed to all these little things happening. They didn't happen by accident. The words out in their mouths, the order of events, the things that happened. That was the plan from the beginning. This was the foreknowledge of God. God knew these things were going to happen. And you knew what was going to happen. And you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. We know later, in about verse 37, people hear this. You know, God knew, you knew, and you crucified and killed him. What was their response? After they heard this from Peter. It says cut to the heart. Cut, cut to the heart. What do we got to do to be right with God? You know, that's really what it is. We can be experts in knowing what God wants. We can be experts in knowing God, his laws. But all of a sudden, did we miss this? It was right there. You put the pieces together, it was there. You're cut to the heart. The question really becomes, what do we have to do to get right with God? Because they're God-fearing people. And the answer, of course, is repent. Be baptized. Be baptized to receive remission of sins. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is that what it says? I think so. It's gift of the Holy Spirit. So, anyway, this is, that's their response to hearing the same thing and knowing it. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll finish out where I started. That's the gospel. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It didn't just happen. It's not a story that came along later. It was a story that was foretold hundreds of years earlier that it was going to happen. And that's, that's the key. That's what makes it true. The eyewitnesses that saw it, those who believed it, even those who participated in it, who were cut to the heart and said, we need to get right with God. So, anyways, that's today's thing, the crucifixion. I hope I showed you some of the pieces in there of why, you know, that they fall in line with prophecy. 
why they're there, um, and that it's foretold. So next week, I think Chuck's probably going to pick up with the resurrection, right? So that that'll be uh, that'll be the end of the gospel. I think we got one section to go after that, the kingdom, right? I think that's about it. Okay. Thanks for being here. I'm sorry I didn't have a whole lot of questions for you, and I know I just talk about as fast as one of those lawyers at the end of a commercial. Um, but you know the basic story. I put the pieces there, the prophecies there, and I hope you can understand why it's that way. Um, thank you for being here. If you feel like you're cheated out of candy, come see me. We we got plenty. People keep me keep us in stock on that stuff. So come see us. And thank you. Thanks for joining us this morning. This morning where you lost an hour of sleep, the faithful have shown up. So thank you. Sing the one